Today's scripture lesson is from Psalm 19 um, to the choir master, a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep Keep back your servants also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm going to get settled for a second here. You were not 6'8". I was thinking the other day, I was kind of reflecting on how many times I've had the opportunity to preach. I'm still a young guy. Uh, and I think I'm getting to around 50, which is cool. But I still have not learned how to work technology, which is definitely a part of this. Um, so if you've been with us so far um, in our psalm series, we've been talking about this book of the songs. And one of the things that we've been discussing is that the book of psalms was written as a hymn book for Israel and a hymn book for us today so that we might sing and by singing we might be shaped. And what I want us to see today as we move in, I'm going to pray real quick in a second, is that in Psalm 19, one of the things in which we are singing is that God speaks. We're singing that God speaks. And before we begin and I pray, um, I want to do something a little bit different today, which is uh, in order to be more participatory, I want you to repeat with me, and we're going to do this throughout this service, God speaks. Okay, I'm going to pray real quick. Jesus, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have spoken through it. I pray that as we prepare for this sermon, as we prepare to look at this text, uh, that you would remind us who you are, that you would shape us to see that you are a God who loves us, who has spoken, that you are not silent. And God, would you be with us as we enter today? Would your spirit be at work? And would you teach us all these things in your name? Amen. So imagine for a second that you are a parent or an aunt or an uncle or a babysitter, you're watching a small child and you're at the community pool. It's one of those rare 90 plus degree days in Madison. You're hot and you're in the water and your arms are open and you're inviting this cute child with their floaties to jump in. And ultimately what you want in this moment is you want them to feel the fresh, cool delight of the water. You want them to jump in and delight in what's in front of them. I think this is a picture of God's invitation to us in his word. This psalm tells us that his voice is delightful. 
It is sweet like honey. It is purer than gold. It is rewarding. It is sure. It is right. And yet if we are honest, so many of us, even those of us in church, struggle to feel this delight. Many of us struggle to even jump in to read the word. A Pew Research report in 2018 found that 25% of professing Christians in the U.S. report that they believe in God, but they don't believe in the God of the Bible. In addition, another report uh, found that only 45% of Christians in the U.S. say that they read scripture at least once a week, and 33% of Christians recorded that they have never read scripture on their own. See, we don't need data to know this, though. We know that this is challenging because for some of us, God's word can feel unrelatable. It can feel challenging to our values, maybe, or sometimes if you're visiting with us today, it might even feel offensive at times. And this challenge, together with the difficulties of life, can so often make us feel alone, can't it? See, we struggle to see God with his arms wide open, inviting us to enjoy the delight of his word. But what I want us to see is that God speaks. See, we struggle to hear God's voice. Many of us are cynical, we're fearful, we're distrustful of God's word. And because of this, God can often feel silent. If you're visiting with us today and you're a non-Christian exploring the face, he may feel silent because you just don't know if he's real. If you're here today for the the hundredth time, you may feel silent because in your suffering or day-to-day life, you struggle to just hear him and to know that he is there. And we also struggle because some of us struggle to believe that God's word is even good. Is it relevant? Is it moral? But what I want us to see today, very briefly, is that God speaks and that it is a good word, so we should follow him. See, God in his infinite kindness has given us this word in Psalms 19 to sing in corporate worship, to be reminded that God speaks, that he speaks a good word, and that is a delight to follow his voice. So first, in verses 1 through 6, what I want us to spend some time on is we see that God speaks in creation. So I'm going to say that again. God speaks. speaks. See, this is uh, talked about, especially through this word, the heavens. God is talking in the heavens. And you might be asking yourself, what does this mean? Well, it's not talking about a cloud with an angel on it. And they're not even talking about the biblical concept of heaven, what the Bible talks about we're bound toward if you're a Christian. Rather, the heavens here in this text refers to what is above the sky. It's talking about the far reaches of creation. It speaks of the wonder of God's creation of things like the sun and the stars and the moon. And what we see in this this passage, in this uh, section, is that God's speech cannot be hidden. God's speech cannot be hidden. See, what we see from this portion of the song is that God's speech cannot be hidden. In verse 3, we see that there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. And we see that creation itself, in its most basic form, speaks of its maker. See, in verse 2, the day pours out speech, and the night reveals knowledge. We see in verse 4 that God's voice is not only heard in specific parts of creation, but it's heard throughout all the earth and to the ends of the earth. And his voice, therefore, can not only be heard, but it is everywhere and in all things. One uh, writer, C.S. Lewis, noted in these verses, we sing of the bridal joyousness of the sun's rising which ushers in a new day, and the unimaginable speed of its daily voyage from east to west as it sheds its goodness to all humankind, and finally of its heat that pierces everywhere. See, in verse 6, it says that there is nothing hidden from its heat. And so God's speech cannot be hidden. 
And so one of the things we see there is that this speech can be heard even if it is not yet received. But what does creation speak about its, about its uh, maker? Jack Collins, uh, a commentator, says, this portion recounts how features of the sky tell us about the, ma the maker. And what they tell is of his glory, his power, his wisdom, his worthiness, his honor, and his worship. It's like that moment, have you had it, where you go on a long hike and you reach the end and you look out over the edge and you see what is beautiful below you. Or maybe you've seen that sunset that causes you to stare in wonder, in awestruck wonder, and ask this question, how could this possibly be random? It's those moments where you stare and you see the beauty of the creator. One uh, uh, theologian, his name is Jonathan Edwards, he, he actually wrote this whole text where he's just admiring God and creation. And he says this, talking about a silkworm. He says, the silkworm is a remarkable type of Christ, which when it dies yields us that of which we make such glorious clothing. Christ became a worm for our sake, and by his death finished that righteousness with which believers are clothed, and thereby procured that we should be clothed with robes of glory. And so what does it mean for us that God speaks in creation? Well, one thing that I want us to see is it means that we are not alone. God has not left us, but his hand is eternally at work in creation. He speaks. Jesus in Matthew 6 actually uses God's speech in creation to um, talk to a crowd and comfort them about God's hand in their lives. He says in Matthew 6 that God clothes the lilies of the field even though they do not toil or spin. And he says in Matthew 6 that the birds do not reap or harvest and yet God provides for them. And so his point is, so how much more does God love and provide for you? God speaks in creation. One of the things it also means for us is that uh, it's important that we develop a redemptive imagination. Do we consider God's hand throughout the day? How might singing this song and looking for his hand around us encourage us? And so the first point is that we should look for him. So we see in verses 1 through 6 that God speaks. God speaks. And we also see that he speaks a universal testimony throughout creation. But what about his special word that he's spoken for his people? What about his special word? Well, second and seven through 11, we see that God speaks a good word. And this good word is a special word. It's the Bible. The text in verse seven says that God gave us the law of the Lord and the testimony of the Lord. And this is referring to the scriptures. But this law, however, for the people of Israel and for us today is not primarily a rule book, although it does give us warning. See, the Pentateuch was a gift from God, if you're new to the Bible, given to Moses for God's people. It was a gift from God given to the people. In essence, it was a letter, a letter to say, this is who I am, so that you may look to it and know, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the great redeemer. I am the God of steadfast love. I am the God who does not leave you nor forsake you or drop you despite your waywardness. And we also today sing about this testimony of the Lord as the church because it is good news that God wrote this for us to tell us who he is. Jesus says that he is our great shepherd. He says that he is our savior, and it's delightful to get to know him. And so this is God's love letter, and it is a good word. But what does this passage remind us about God's word briefly, if we were to walk through some of the things that the text says? Well, it says that God's word is perfect, that it is sure. That is that it's blameless and trustworthy. Do we not long for this? Regardless of where you sit, um, 
on the political spectrum or whatever else, it's, it's contagious that all of us are unhappy with people who lead. There's a lot to be critical of, but don't we long to hear and follow the voice of someone without fault? Don't we long to hear and follow the voice of a God without fault? We long to follow someone who rules without error. We see that he is blameless and trustworthy. We also see that he re- the word revives the soul. I uh, moved on Tuesday, which was a, a whole thing, and after uh, realizing that we have too much stuff, uh, I sat there in this new house on the couch with boxes all around, drenched in sweat, and realized that moment, if you've had a long workout or a big move, I smell awful and I feel awful. And so what I did was I went downstairs and I went to our new shower, which I can fit in, which is great. And I took a shower and I felt amazing. I felt revived. Do you know that God's word is meant to revive our souls? That is given to us to give us life. I think if I think of this in my own life, I think of how God's word revives me as a perfectionist. As I remember and see that God has adopted me and adopted his children, not because we've done things perfectly, but because of his great love. As I learn about his adoption, I'm encouraged and revived in my daily life. See, we often think of reading the Bible as a chore, don't we? It's good to have a schedule. That's a good thing. We should think about that. But we think of it as that 10-minute block that we've carved out to read in the morning, something we have to do. But what if it was a revival? What if it was an opportunity to come before the God who says who he is and be reminded? We also see that God's word makes wise the simple. When I think of this, I think of uh, Shakespeare, if you read of any of his plays. He always has a character in it who's considered the fool. And what you see in the text is that the fool is actually the one who has the wisdom. The fool is the one who was made fun of, but he has the wisdom. And what you learn is that uh, in, in the Shakespeare stories is that the elite don't actually have all the answers. What I think is encouraging about the Bible is it speaks to those who are afraid to know that the Bible is for you and you don't have to have a seminary degree or be a pastor or whatever else to have access to him. I think some of us need to hear that. I, th- I remember when I was a teenager and I was afraid to read the Bible because I thought I would feel stupid if I got before it and I didn't get it. Do you know that God's word is for you and it makes wise the simple? And by the way, all of us are the simple. <laughs> I think this is important even within our own tradition if you're new to Presbyterianism or been around because we value uh, high theology and that's a good thing. Uh, but God's word is actually for all of us, not just for the super educated or the super elite. God's word makes wise the simple and this is encouraging in our fear because God's word is for you whether you've read it a million times or you're reading it for the first time. We also see that God's word is said to be straight. And what that means is that it is a path that is sure. It is a path that you can see. Have you ever been hiking on a windy path? Maybe it's getting dark and you start to worry, how am I going to make it to the end? You start to get confused about which signs to follow and which way to go. Well, we see that uh, God's word provides a way. It gives us what we need. It's like a GPS system. It reorients us to help us see which way we are going. We also see that God's word rejoices the heart. Have you ever had that long day where at the end of it, you say to your friend, your roommate, your spouse, whoever, I just need to watch something on Netflix that's chill. I just need to like watch The Office. I need to laugh. I need something joyful. I need to rejoice. I don't want to watch a drama. Stranger things can come another time, right? God's word actually promises to recharge us and to fill us with joy about who God is. This doesn't mean that it's not full of challenge and warning, 
but God's word is said to rejoice our hearts. It says that God's word is to be more desired than gold and sweeter than honey. It's of great value. When I think about this, I think about the um, obsession in our culture with zombie movie series. Maybe you've watched them. But I think the reason why they're so popular is that they challenge the, the, um, the viewer to question what is really of great value. You see in these, these movies that batteries become of great value and uh, canned food and whatever else. But more than that, you see that friendship and connection become of greater value. The first things to go are the luxury items, right? Well, one of the things that God's word does is it reorients us to see what is of great value. It helps us survive and even thrive in this world where we're confused what lasts. God's word is of great value. And we see finally that there's great reward in keeping his word. Do you know that God actually wants you to have a good life? Do you know that? He certainly says that we will sacrifice. He promises uh, to expect that suffering would happen, to not be surprised by it. He calls us to take up his cross and follow him. So it doesn't mean that we get everything we want, but God actually desires your welfare. And he gives us his word because he wants to reward you and reorient us. And so what does this mean? Well, it means that we, not that God has not only spoken, but that he's spoken something that is good. He's spoken a good word. And so what would it look like to delight in God's voice, to read it and rediscover or discover for the first time that the God of the universe recorded this good word of love for you? to tell you who he is, that it is for you. So God speaks. So we see in verses one through six that God is not silent, but he speaks. And God not only speaks, but he has spoken a good word. But what do we do with his voice? So God has spoken. What do we do with it? Well, in, in 12 through 14, we see that God's speech should be followed by a humble response. See, as we saw in verses one through six, God speaks even if we do not receive his voice. And so the first step is to receive his voice. If you're new to the church or um, visiting with us this week, that's the first step, to receive it. But more than that, we see in verses 12 that we are called to discern. And in in 13, we are called to appeal. See, Jack Collins notes that this psalm leads the singers to reflect on their own moral failures, known and unknown, to rely on God's forgiveness, and to seek protection from sin's domination. See, this psalm calls us to discern and appeal because God's word helps us to discern and appeal. God's word gives us wisdom to see our error, that is to discern, but it also tells us who God is and about Jesus so that we might know that we appeal to one who is full of steadfast love. That's why every week when we go to the confession of sin and assurance of pardon, we talk about being honest about our sin so that God can be honest with us about who he is, right? We discern and we appeal. But in verse 14, we also see that God's word causes us to worship. Verse 14 says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And the singer here is reflecting how after God's word helps us discern our errors and reminds us of the appeal we can make to a gracious God, this grace that is displayed causes us to worship. See, acceptable in your sight is actually a Hebrew expression that's used in Leviticus 22. And the point is that the singer is requesting that this song be a suitable act of worship before God like a sacrifice was. You've probably heard in the scriptures that, you know, uh, people ask that a sacrifice be acceptable in your sight. 
And one thing that's being said here is that the, the singer is falling down in worship as he encounters the word. And so what does this mean for us? Well, for some of us, it means that uh, we should respond in God's word through discernment. Do you know that God's word is actually for you to reflect and to change and to grow? That it's not just something to consume, but it actually changes us. Do you know uh, uh, that we can appeal, that we can discern without fear because our appeals are heard by God and bought by Jesus? That we do not have to fear coming before God's word because if you are in Christ, uh, there is no condemnation. And this is why, uh, as I noted earlier, we do confession of sin and assurance of pardon in our service because it's an act of worship. Every week we are reminded about what the Bible teaches us and how it forms us. And finally, this means, and I think this is more radical than we often think, the Bible teaches that we can actually change. Do you know how radical that is in our culture, the idea that someone can change, that they can be changed? God's word, God loves us so much that he asks us to come to him exactly as we are, to discern our errors, but he also loves us so much that he does not want us to remain in our sin that he actually gives us the tool through the spirit to change, even if that change is imperfect and we await a day where there will be no sin. So as we close, what does it mean to sing this psalm? Well, at the, as the last verse so helpfully reminds us, we sing this psalm as an act of worship. And this song helps us worship God by three things. First, reminding us and shaping our eyes to actually see that God speaks. We sing this song to be reminded that he speaks in creation to help us not only see his existence, but more than this, to see that he is at work, that he will not abandon us. So we sing this in our loneliness, in our confusion, in our doubt, and even in our joy, so that we might learn to receive his voice and see it. We also see that we sing this song to remind ourselves the benefits of God's voice, the benefits of God's good word. We do this so that in our weariness, we can be formed to seek the refreshing delight of God's testimony. So that we can be formed to see uh, his word that is available to you and that it is good. We do this so that in our search for meaning, we can be formed to see the abundant value of God's voice that's spoken for you. We do this so that in our confusion and doubt, we can be formed to see that God has given us a guide, that you are not alone. He's given us a guide. And that in the difficulties of life, so that we would not lose sight of our reward. So we sing this to dive in. We sing this to be reminded that God's word is for you and it is delightful. And finally, we sing this song to be shaped as people who respond. See, the Christian life is actually active and responsive. And we sing this song to remember how to respond to the great benefits of God's voice so that we might receive, discern, appeal, and worship. Uh, as we close, there's a theologian named um, Leslie Newbegin, and he gives this beautiful illustration of what it looks like to encounter God and his word. He gives this illustration of a dinner party. So imagine for a second that y'all are over at our house. The boxes are actually unpacked, and it's a, it's a good place. But imagine you're over there, and uh, we're having a conversation together over, over drinks and food, and we're talking about someone. Let's call this someone Jim. So we begin to discuss about who Jim is and what he would do in a given situation, but it's all speculative. It's all speculative, and it's all a little polite. Well, how would that con conversation change if Jim actually showed up? 
if he came to our right with that tray of cocktail weenies and said, do you want any? The conversation would suddenly become a lot less polite and a lot less speculative. One of the truths of scriptures that's a great joy to us is that all of us want to know who God is. We want to know who he is and, and what, he belie- what he calls us to and what's happening. And one of the truths of scripture is that Jesus has walked in and confronted us in his word, that we can actually encounter him and know him. And he turns the question to us and says, who do you say that I am? And he tells us who he is. Who do you say that I am? What would it look like in our lives to encounter Jesus in his word? If you're new uh, to the church or you're new to the scriptures, I would just encourage you to read it, to encounter him, to know him, to find a neighbor who you can learn to know him together. And if you're rediscovering him again, I would just once again encourage you to seek his voice, to receive it. God speaks. Let's pray so that God would help us. Jesus, we are thankful that you speak. God, you could be silent and yet you are not. It is in your character to speak. We are thankful that we are not alone. As we seek you in your word and in life, would you help us to come to you? Would you in your spirit encounter us and teach us and encourage us and be with us? So God, we turn to worship now and we pray that we would worship you for who you are. Amen.